You'll take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 95. But I'd also ask for you to take a f- your fingers and turn to John 4. And we'll be looking at verse 24 as well this morning. And again, you see that there are papers on your chair. And again, this is the beginning of our three weeks of having you um, as you have the opportunity to, to look and see how God has gifted you and has called you to ministry here at Northside. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, so again, we ask that you would uh, take these. If you've already prayed and you know exactly where God is calling you, uh, please take those, fill those out today. We'll give you some time at the end of the service and then hand them in. Uh, Chris Bryans will be taking those up today at the back of the sanctuary. Um, but you can also go online. And uh, on the front page of our website, you can find uh, the, the, the survey there. You can fill it out and you can turn it in. Um, and there'll be also opportunities in the next couple of weeks. But again, the idea is for everyone to fill it out. And so if you're even here as a visitor and you are, are thinking about what are your spiritual gifts and whether you want to be a part of things here at Northside, we'd ask that you still take it, fill it out, tell us where you're gifted. Maybe you know some things that we need to do differently and fill it out, put your name on it and turn it in as we would love to be a part of seeing how God moves here at Northside over the next uh, five to 10 years as we begin to put things into place. So as we prepare ourselves, we're going through our values. And so today we see our first value of worship. And one of the things as a youth pastor that I found is that attitude definitely determines action. And so out in Colorado, I would do things like uh, different events and different themes that would go on. And so some of the big things that were out there is we tried a Napoleon Dynamite evening at youth group. And, uh, and so we had people dress up, the, the volunteers dressed up, and we had games that were out there. And we kind of showed up that evening, and it was uh, none of the youth were into it. And it was horrible. None of the youth dressed up, and they were like, oh, this is stupid. This is not going to be fun. We're not going to do this. And so that evening was not fun. And it was uh, very burdensome. Um, Our volunteers who were so geared up and so looking forward to it were distraught and all those things. Well, then we also had the opportunity to do an 80s decade um, dance kind of a thing. And so... Here, our experience with Napoleon Dynamite didn't go so well, and I was thinking, this could be really, really bad. But the kids had a completely different attitude, and they came dressed up like Boy George and um, Michael Jackson, and they were ready, and they were had a great attitude, and it became one of the best nights that they ever had at the youth group. And so there's the one sense that, again, we have to make a mindset that our attitude definitely determines the actions that we bring here, even into worship. And I want you to see this from Psalm 95, because we're going to look at first the, the back part of uh, the chapter and then come back to the front part. So listen to the words. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. And in his hands are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, 
For he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. So today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah or as the day at Massa in the wilderness when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof though they had seen my work. For 40 years, I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their hearts and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath that they shall not enter my rest. And then John chapter four, verse 24. For God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, Lord, we ask the Holy Spirit to move, to truly give us hearts that understand, minds that engage. But Lord, that you would drive us closer and closer, that we would see your majesty in your glory. And Father, that we would respond in worship that you are rightfully due. So Father, you teach us and change us this morning. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So we know by our shorter catechism that we ask the question from the very beginning, what is the chief end of man? And we answer that question by saying the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. See, worship is the apex of what we're supposed to do. See, evangelism will go away. There are other things that we do here on earth as a part of the church that will go away, but worship is the one thing that will never, ever go away. And so it's the apex of what we do in our Christian walk. And so what happens is a lot of times, if you see at the end here, it says, do not, um, do not harden your hearts. See, these were people, again, what he's talking about in the scripture, he's talking about the people who were in the desert that saw the works of God. They were part of the group that came out when they came out from, um, from Egypt and followed Moses through the prom- up to the promised land. And so they saw the the Red Sea parted. They saw bread from heaven. They saw the doves given to them. They saw all these things and still within their heart, they were so hardened to the things of God. And so he's given us a warning because again, for some of us, worship can become something that is very dead. We come here and we just go through vain repetitions Maybe some people come for shallow emotionalism. Just come and and just feel good about yourself. Come and have a euphoric atmosphere. Others sometimes are theologically bankrupt in their worship. See, the people that were there were discontent. They were quarreling with God. And for some people, worship just becomes plain boring. And they think that the ultimate reality for them will become, we're all just going to be sitting on clouds strumming harps. The truth is so much further from what this is talking about. And our understanding of what it means to worship God is so much deeper. So we have to have the joy of authentic and the accurate worship of who God is. And so we begin by asking the question, Who is it of worship that we should be about? See, the scripture tells us in John chapter 4, verse 24, that God is a spirit. 
So the greater our understanding of who God is, the more that we know about God, the higher our worship should become. So the more that we grow in our understanding, the higher our worship should be. The more our heart is into it, the greater he becomes in the midst of our understanding. And so we come to God who is a spirit. Now I want you to see in your Bible, unless you have a King James Version, it should be a small s. Because it's not talking about the Holy Spirit. So he's saying that God is a spirit, small s, which means that he doesn't have a physical body. And because it doesn't have a physical body, it allows him to be a part of things that we can never be. It allows him to be omnipresent. That's how God can be everywhere at all times. Now, we have to remind ourselves of those attributes because there are some attributes that we share with him. Things like wisdom, things like love. Now, even though we share in those communicable attributes, we do not do it to the extent that God does. We can't love the way that God loves. We'll never have the wisdom that God has. But there's also attributes called the incommunicable attributes that are only to God himself. And it means that he is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. He's omniscient. He knows everything. He's sovereign. He's transcendent. He's immutable, and he's self-existence. And so the fullness of God is where he is all the time. And for us, it should draw us to him, understanding that, again, the more that we grow in our understanding, the more that we grow in our understanding of who he is and what he does and what he requires of us, our our worship of him should get greater. And so we're looking at a God who's immense, who's other than us, who is so much more powerful, so much more spiritual, so much more of the fullness of who he is that it should overwhelm us. But in the passage of the Psalms, it also talks about two very specific things. It says, God is creator. And it's talking about his greatness. He is our maker. He took the world and he spoke it into existence. And so he is greatly to be praised. And then it talks about the mountains. It talks about the sea. And it's talking about the quality. It's an infinite measure. His greatness, his worth is so greater that we can't begin to fathom. And the quality of it, the scale of it, as he says, from the very depths of the sea to the very heights of the mountain, it's all his. And by the very words, he created it all, and he holds it in his hand. We can't do anything. We struggle to climb mountains. We can't swim across the sea. We can't feather them depths or the heights. And yet, God, it's all his. And he's greatly to be praised. It also talks about him being king. It says God is king. He is king above all gods. So he's mighty and he secures for us a safe place. He allows us to run to him and he secures for us a place where he uses us and he rules and guides us. But he is the protector. He is the giver. He is the sustainer. And it says then he is the God of our salvation. And again, this is the greatest gift, right, that he's ever given to us, that once we figure out that we are sinners in need of a Savior, we figure out that all of us here deserve hell. 
except for the fact that God loves us because he loves us because he loves us. And so he gives his son to come and live a life we could never live, and he lives it perfectly. And then he takes his perfect life and he gives it to us so that we might be righteous before God. He takes our penalty of sin and he crucifies it on the cross so that we don't have to endure hell. So he takes hell for us. And it says, Jesus lays down his life. No one took it from him. So the God the Father gives his son. And for those who are fathers, our mothers, you understand just how great a cost that is. He gives his son for sinners like you and I. But it says Jesus lays down his life because of his love for us. So this is the who of who we come to worship. So how do we respond to this God? What of worship? Well, this word comes from a word that we would say is worth-ship. Who is worthy of worship? And so when we begin to talk about this, the Old Testament is shaka. The proskuneo is the Greek term. Now, what does this mean? It means that when you look at these terms, it means to bow down. So we are to bow down in humble reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit as we come and worship. And so that should be the posture of our heart. We should be bowed down before him. But there's also a secondary understanding, and it means to be face-to-face with God. Now, this is very unique because it allows us the opportunity to see God for who he is. And it's, a, it's an understanding of a great affection. And so what it kind of means is that we have to have our supreme love to be our Savior God. And is that the way that you think of your relationship to God? Is it the depth of your whole being given to him? And again, if you are saved later in life, I think people who are saved later in life, I think they get a bigger, a greater understanding because they know who they were before they came to Christ. Okay, so I knew what kind of a jerk I was before Christ. Even according to human standards, I was a bad person. So when I came to Christ and I got to see who he is and what he requires, it was overwhelming I think sometimes I struggle with people who feel because they've grown up in Christian homes that somehow they've missed out. You've been given the greatest opportunity to know God so intimately that it brings your whole heart, your whole experience to love him from the day you were born to the day you die. And it's that kind of calling. It's, it's our calling to say, Jesus, you are everything. You're everything to me. But so often it becomes, I'm tired. I'm bored. I'm not happy. I'm not entertained. None of that has to deal with love. 
when we come with our whole being, our whole heart, our whole mind to come and worship God, there's a connection that cannot be defined. There's a connection of our heart to the very God who created it. And we, so we come, but it's his invitation. Now we have an invocation that we do, and Coleman's up here and he gives us an invocation. We should probably turn that around and say it's an invitation. It's an invitation of God to us. He's the one who allows us to come into his presence. And I tell you this quite frequently, that he is an audience of one. So it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks, what anybody else says. We don't have to worry about whether our voice is good and clear, whether our instruments mess up, if anything happens with the slides or anything like that. None of that has to deal with anything. It's does our God come away for with our whole heart engaged in worship saying, you are worthy to be praised. For he's truly an audience of one. But listen, this scripture tells us very clearly, it says, let us, let us, let us. See, he calls us to be in unity in worship, not isolation. God has never called us to be in isolation from one another. It's part of the reason why, and again, it's so great that we've had the time to come and to have it on video and, and people can rest at home. And that's great. And there needs to be the opportunity for people to worship at home. But there's also something unique that happens here when the people of God are together. And so he calls us, don't be in isolation. Don't live out your Christian walk alone. Don't live out your worship alone. Come and be with your brothers and sisters. Hear their gifts. Be edified by one another. Be drawn closer to who God is because of the relationships we have with one another. And so he calls us to be in unity in worship and not isolation. And then the third thing he does is he talks about our posture of worship. How should we come into his presence? And he tells us that we should bow down. We should kneel before the Lord. Now again, are we supposed to do that physically? You can. I, the, the first pastor I worked for, his whole thing when we would read scripture, he said either you can stand or you can bow on your knees. When we come into the pastoral prayer, you could stand or, or be on your knees. Now again, that's great, but the posture should be of our heart. So it should be a heart issue and because worship is active. It's not a passive thing. You don't just simply um, sit up here and go, this is, entertain me. It's an active process for us. So no matter the circumstances, no matter where we find ourselves in life, no matter the things that are going on, we can come to worship with our hearts engaged and we can cry out to the living God and he hears us and he knows us and he will answer as is right. As we come in that posture, then there's a response in worship and it humbles us. Sorry. It humbles us. It makes us come in celebration. But he also comes in reverence and with thanksgiving. So again, do, do I think we need to come here like it's a, um, the band for the college game day thing? No. But is it bad for us, even as Presbyterians, to raise our hand in worship? No. Is it okay to say amen? Yes. 
Do we get in those awkward claps when people are doing things and we're just like, we don't know what to do. So we make it awkward. Where's your heart? If you are that crazy person like Kim, there you go. And you want to raise your voice to the heavens, do it. If you want to be the most quiet person and you don't want people to know that you're here, but you're still worshiping, that's okay too. But ask the question, am I worshiping God with both my heart and my head? Am I worshiping him? So we come in that posture, but then John 4, 24 tells us how to worship. And he tells us how by, we need to be worshiping in spirit. And again, it's our human spirit, so it's a little s. And so there needs to be an internal response, which means that we have all of our mind, all of our emotions, all of our will, all of our strength should be given in worship. Now, again, I understand you guys get to sit there, okay? Every week, I, I have to carry a, a little handkerchief because I got to wipe my head off, okay, after I'm, I'm done. And I'm, when I finish with worship, I'm done because I, I'm not going through the motions up here. I don't sit here and write in my notes, wait for laughter, jump up and down, hit the pulpit. I don't do that. This is worship. This is my response. As weird as it is, as overwhelmed as it is, this is how I respond to the God who loves me. And it is work. It's work to stay focused. I understand it's work to stay focused during the prayer. It's work to stay focused and not fall asleep during the sermon. I understand all of that. But the question becomes, am I giving God everything that I have? Am I, am I giving my best? And if we answer that question, then it's good. Because we engage our mind, our emotions, our will, and our strength. Everything about us is engaged in worship. But then we also do it in truth, which means that our worship comes from Scripture. Worship does not get just regulated to songs and to prayers. Worship recedes and starts at the center and at the core with the Word of God. And everything else proceeds from that because it's God's words to His people. So it has to be a Word-centered worship. It has to be a worship to where we know that God is worthy to be praised because he has told us so. When we're talking about the people who are the hard-necked people, it comes and it finds itself in Hebrews chapter 3 and chapter 4. It retells their story. But I want to end with this in regards to Hebrews chapter 4. We're beginning at verse 9. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered into God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and it's active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword and it pierces to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart and no creature is hidden from his sight. But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. 
And since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, for he's Jesus, the Son of God. So then let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's how we worship our Lord and Savior, the Trinity. We worship with all of our head and our hearts engaged. So I'm going to end the sermon at this point. We'll finish the service, but we do ask that you would take the opportunity to please stay to fill out the forms and then turn them in to Chris Bryan's as you have an opportunity before you leave. If you want to take it home, that's great. Please do so. Pray over it, but please return it or go on to the website and fill it out because this is our church, not Jeff's church, not the elder's church. It's our church. And so God's speaking to you of how you are being called and equipped in a unique way to further his kingdom, both here and around the world. Amen? So I will not go to the back today because I was exposed. I do not have COVID, but I was exposed to COVID. So I will sit in my mask and I will stay up here. And if you want to come and speak to me, by all means do so. But I will not go to the back um, to, to shake hands and hug. Um, but please uh, know you're loved. I'm not. Never mind. You're loved. Please know that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do pray that what we have done here this morning has been pleasing and honoring to you. And Father, if the Spirit hasn't moved, if the Spirit hasn't shaken our hearts, if he hasn't brought the songs to mean what they mean out of our lips, if we haven't been able to hear the prayers and say amen, I agree. If we've only heard the sermon but not listened to the sermon, that we've missed a great opportunity to worship and to honor you. So, Father, please take these times, this opportunity where we come and we're united in worship to come and praise you, to glorify you, to honor you, to set you apart as holy as you should be. So, Father, receive our praise and not just from our lips, because that's too easy. But may it come from hearts and from minds that are changed by the gospel message and given to your glory both now and truly forevermore. For this we pray in Christ's name, by the power of the Spirit, and all God's people said, Amen.